Ladies and gentlemen, in 1989, Paul Dudley Walden, commonly known as Guru Josh, proclaimed to the world that the 1990s was time for the guru. Ah, ah, ooh, ah. I am here with a bunch of chaps to help sort that out because I don't think 1990s was actually time for the guru. It was the time for the grunge. And I've got John from Nirvana Tribute, Jay from UK Foo Fighters, and Mikey and Matt from Outshine. So, hey, guys. Howdy. Howdy, man. Good morning good from the UK. Good morning and good evening from us over here on the Gold Coast, uh, us being Mikey and, and Maddie. Um, guys, this is, I've never done one with the, the multiple people before, so um, I'm hoping that it flows well and we don't all talk over each other. But I'm actually going to start first with Jay from UK go. Foo Fighters <laughs> and just ask you, how did you get the UK Foo Fighters started? Oh my gosh, I'm going to try and speak quickly because otherwise I'll it'll drag on. But uh, we've got time. We've got all the time. Um, basically, I, I I I started or joined my first covers band in 2004 called Speedster, and um, and we were just playing. We were playing Nirvana, we were playing Foo Fighters, we were playing Green Day, Stereophonics, um, The Jam, um, Queens of the Stone Age. And we just developed a following for for Foo Fighters. And people would come and say, oh, can you play some more Foo Fighters? So we ended up with maybe six or seven songs in the set list. And this like hardcore group of Foo Fighter fans who would turn up at every local show that we did because we were just playing locally. We weren't traveling. Um, and it was kind of my first band at the age of 35, you know. Really? So, wow. So wow. I was really cutting my teeth on all these songs and um, getting into amps and, you know, stuff like that. And um, I remember at the time the, the guy who ran this this pub in in a place uh, where we lived called Harrogate was doing uh, tribute nights, and he said to me, "You know, you, I reckon you could do a Dave Grohl. You know, I reckon you could do it. Cool. And you know, that's the way you can travel. So instead of playing locally, people will be interested in you know playing around the country. So um, I thought, no, bad idea." <laughs> Dave Grohl, oh my God, you know, he's like a, a god on stage, a hell of a front man. I went, no chance. And and to be honest, at the time, you know, I'm old, I'm old enough to kind of have a different maybe perspective on tribute. So in 2004, I was thinking, isn't tribute working men's clubs and weeks? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. Do I really want to do that? So I kind of said yeah whatever and then a couple of months later i had a, a a guy call me from a festival in north yorkshire and he wanted to he wanted us to headline this festival and i said okay well speedster is the name of the band yeah and this is what we play <laughs> and the guy goes oh i i think i maybe phoned the wrong guy i, I thought you were a foo fighters tribute band everyone's talking about you 
And I said, no, but, you know, I want to headline a festival. Yeah. What, what do we need to do? Well, you need to learn like 14 Foo Fighter songs and come and headline our festival. And um, that weekend, um, I was at, uh, I'm into American cars and I went to an American classic car show and I was thinking, oh, we're going to like, you know, I've, I've got a, a guy on guitar who looks like um, George from in the Beatles, you know, George <laughs> Harrison. Yeah. And I'm like, how's this going to work? We don't look like the Foo Fighters. But anyway, I, I said yes. They said, well, what, what are we going to bill you as? And that weekend I was at a classic car show and the UK Beach Boys were playing. And I, I picked up a flyer and I remember thinking, well, I don't want to have like a cheesy band name. So UK Foo Fighters. Wow. And, and that's how it started in 2007. 2007. first show. Yeah. And you've never run into any issues with the name of UK Foo Fighters? Uh, no. No? I mean, not really. Um, the one, The one thing that I can remember was, um, which we may talk about later if you want to, but uh, when Dave got me on stage to front the Foo Fighters, um, afterwards he was interviewed in, I think it was in Australia, and someone sent me a clip of him chatting about it. And the, in fact, it was at the iHeart, music festival in LA and uh he made a comment he said um yeah UK Foo Fighters I mean couldn't he have thought of a better name (laughs) (laughs) but he doesn't know the story you know it didn't there wasn't a great deal of thought put into it yeah so awesome what a way to get a start that's the story cool how about you John how did Nirvana tribute get a start mate wow um for me, it was a couple of years after Jay. It was 2009. So I was 27 at the time. And uh, yeah, I just decided I wanted to do, wanted to try do the Nirvana thing. But I put a couple of videos up on YouTube first just to kind of gauge people's reactions, just to see what people would say about it, you know, <laughs> good or bad. And yeah. uh, some, guys, some guys in the States spotted it and um, they sent me a message was to see if I'd like to go out and try it with them, maybe, and uh, see if we could put something together. They'd already previously done a Nirvana tribute, so we were just looking for a new singer. Um, so, yeah, I went out to Boston um, that November. And we played our first show um, we're in a little place, Worcester, Massachusetts, uh, in a place called the Lucky Dog. I'll never forget it. Oh, my God, man, I'll never forget it. I think I threw up when I went outside. It was so hot in the venue. Really? So hot. Wow. It was like minus temperatures outside. It was like yeah, it was like a nightmare scenario. But yeah, um, yeah. Uh, the following year, by August two thousand and ten, like we we were already touring. We were we were doing European tours, and uh, we got a message asking us if we'd like to do the Matthew Street Festival uh, in Liverpool and close out that. And that was uh, the inner circle was like sixty thousand people. It was like one hundred and twenty thousand people in total. Wow. So I'm this wow. less than a year, less than a year after kind of deciding this is what I wanted to do. So um yeah, yeah, kinda happy, <laughs> kinda happy with the way it turned out, I guess. Cool. Cool. So for for both you, John and um and Jay, are you guys like clean shaven when you do the shows to get the, the look more like the original guys? I am. <laughs> you are, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, pretty much. Dave, Dave hasn't been clean shaven since about '97. Oh yeah, I guess not. <laughs> yeah, yeah you, you're sporting the mo. I guess he's got like the the beard, doesn't he? He's got the. Yeah, I'm a bit thin, you know. You you jiggles all down. Hey. <laughs> What was that? You go the opposite to me. I end up growing a beard when I'm not on tour just because <laughs> I just feels like me then. <laughs> hey, it's Taylor Hawkins in your other band. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. I brought that up the other day. Uh, now, Mikey and Matt. Now, I've, I've played in bands with Mikey since um, I was 14 years old, so I know a bit of bit about his story. But, Mikey, um, what, uh, what got Out Shine started, man? Man, honestly, going... We've only been going since I think we started 2015. Yeah. The con- we, myself with Maddie, a singer Matt, and Matt, and another, you know, Sean as well, Sean Itong. Mm-hmm. We had discussed that doing something similar, a tribute show for years. You know, I can think back to mid 2000s. Yeah, yeah. mid 2000s. We we'd actually talked about it. I think the catalyst, when Scott Whelan died in 2015, that was the sort of catalyst that I remember ringing or talking with Sean and then ringing Matt and going, if you've got time, I think now would be a good time to to do what we've always talked about doing. Um, and I think within 18 months, Matt had you know, had already played with Josh, a drummer, in, in another band, and he sort of fitted the bill as well, and that's sort of the catalyst when when Scott Whelan passed. Um, so, well, yeah. Having the lineup too, like to get a somebody like that can sing Soundgarden stuff and, and that sort of thing. Like I, I'd moved to Melbourne and come back and, and I was sort of not interested in doing anything too much. Definitely didn't want to do sort of, you know, the, 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 the covers pub gig thing because I'd done that for so many years. So I was sick of it. Um, and it was only when, you know, when Matt... Matty Boland, who was, you know, out of, was a singer out of Rollerball, which is, you know, one of my favourite singers. He's got a great voice on him. When I found he was, you know, I went, okay, that's it, I'm in. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll do this one. Um, and this lineup was right. And it just, you know, it, it's just worked from that point in. Basically, all, all four of us have been together for that long. We've had, you know, a couple of guitarists step in and step out, Rick included. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I don't know, blame you for leaving. Um, but it's um, <laughs> but you know, it's just getting that line up and and sticking with it is has been the main thing. And you know, like I said, if any of these guys leave, I'm out. I, you know, I'm not I'm not there for another one. But yeah, and the other thing too, I think the the music um, taste has changed. Of people, you know, people used to go to the pub and want to see an ACDC tribute band. But I think the people that are now coming to the pubs want to see the grunge so there wasn't really an audience for it as far as what we're doing in sort of the mid 2000s but now people want to see that so that was the other thing too and it's been really popular yeah well it saved it's it's kind of saved me because i've been playing covers for god knows how long like 30 years and you know what it's like having to go through playing the same repertoire over and over and over the songs that people want to hear um this this outshine is more about playing what we really want to play, what we grew up loving. But you couldn't go and play Man in a Box on a Friday night at the local and it'd maybe appeal to a couple of people. Whereas now with this show, um it's it, it 
those bands and that music is is why we do what we do. Um, it's it's a real saving grace for me from from playing covers. As much as I love playing covers and doing gigs, you know, weekends, um, outshines is something that I've always wanted to do. You don't get a chance to play the material that we do, um, and I think that's why it's worked for us. You know, we we. The difference between us and John and, and Jay is we're not just, we don't do one band, you know, we, we cover Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, Nirvana, some Temple of the Dog, it's it's the core groups of that and Nirvana. Um, it's, it's the core music from that time that I think that we love. The only, yeah, the only trade-off is we don't do any one of those as good as you guys do yours. That's the only <laughs> Well, speaking for you guys in, in Outshined, uh, I know, as I said, I've played in, in cover bands on and off with Mikey since I was 14 years old, and a lot of the songs that Outshined are playing are, is the stuff that I know we like to play, but as we've gotten older the kids these days that have come through i shouldn't call them kids they're, they're sort of young adults these days don't know that music and they weren't appreciating it appreciating it so it's really good to go out and play some ticketed shows as a group that people are there to see that music and really appreciating it i think and what it is i think it's the the people that listen to that music in the 90s you know they all had their kids um those kids are now 20 and have left home and these people are back on the loose they can they got the time to head out now and when they head out they want to listen to the music that they were listening to at that point where you know 10 years ago they wanted acdc where it's now they want this stuff because this is what they grew up on kids are now 20 they've moved out and they can get out again and they want to see this yep yep so uh particularly for john and jay seeing as you guys do tribute to just one band each in particular was it hard for you guys to try and take on the style of that artist? And before before you guys answer that, I, I need to point out, I actually played in a tribute band for a few years myself. I was Brian May in a, um, a Queen tribute band. Uh, so I had to do the learning of how to play the parts. Uh, and I would slow down everything and learn to play them at a slow speed and copy the vibrato and everything and then have it gradually pick up. So then when I got it to speed... All my bends and my vibrato was exactly the same as on the record. And um, that's how I really got to cop the feel. And I watched all the film clips and knew all of Brian May's moves. Um, actually, you can probably see a little bucket head up behind me up there that's wearing the wig. That was the wig that I used to wear. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I had to learn all the, the moves and everything. How was that for you guys? I'll start with you, Jay. Oh, man. I actually think that the way it started for me, it was, it was a bit of a rush to learn the songs. And if I look back at when we were playing those songs like 30 years ago, it was bad. Yeah. You know, there hadn't been enough thought gone into like, what are we actually playing here? And, you know, and then ability to play, you know, for me was quite a challenge because even at that time, you know, Dave Grohl was a better guitarist than me. So even though he wasn't doing it, um, you know, soloing and stuff, he's still like such an, a musician, you know, um, musically. It's like, well, you know, you don't just get that, do you? Mm -hmm. I, know, I know you 
you, you get that from crafting your art from the age of six, you know. Uh-huh. Whereas my start with guitars did happen around, you know, age nine, ten. But but I moved away from guitar. And, you know, <laughs> if we talk about the 80s, you could take the piss out of me, you know, because I was into different things. But but I guess the answer to that would be that I feel like I'm still learning now. Okay. So if I look at the last five years, the the real break for us happened in 2013 when the O2 Academy Group in the UK, which is a big organization with venues everywhere, um, kind of, if you've made it onto that tour, you've kind of made it. Um, And that happened in 2013. And I guess since then, watching the Foo Fighters, and like you just said, Rick, you end up, you watch them live. Who's playing what? Which bits are, you know, oh, he's playing it. He's not playing it on the, on open strings. Or he is playing it on open strings. Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, because a, a studio recording is impossible to figure out, you know, who's doing what. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I learn a lot from, like, if, if I'm struggling with a song, I'll go on YouTube and I'll find one of these musicians who knows more than I know <laughs> um, telling everybody how to play it. I'll go, oh, my God, yeah, I know how to play it now because this guy in YouTube has shown me how to play it, you know. Yeah. And, then I'll, and then I'll go and watch Dave um, and I'll look for clips of what he's doing. So I would say it, it's I'm still learning. But yeah. for the last six years, it's been every month, every, you know, we learn a song, we follow the album, we get the sound, we take it to the stage, and then we start going, hang on a minute, what are we playing, you know? Yeah. How do we take it to the next level? Okay. How about you, John? Have you had to, um, you know, you watched all the video clips and you try and mimic the moves, and, and did you have a voice similar to Kurt before, or did you have to try and learn to pull off that that style of singing um i guess i want to sing i just it's just my voice i mean for some things i add extra little inflections in there you know mm-hmm. just so that it's a little bit closer on certain words and stuff i guess but like i don't know my, my guitar playing my style of play is just directly influenced from Kurt because i grew up with that stuff like i was fortunate enough when i was eight years old somebody handed me bleach on a cassette and you know, so I was there and it was, there when it was happening. So I was watching it as it was happening. I was learning as it was as I was watching these things. So it directly influenced me, you know. So um yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I put so much into it on stage. I just kind of there's a lot of just me in there and I'm just having fun a lot of the time. But I guess like like Jay said, when you get into things like the O2s and stuff like that, you kinda you kinda start realizing you need to tighten up your act a little bit and stuff. You need to kind of have things in in order, you know. The, the show needs to be, it needs to be an Nirvana show rather than just the, the the kind of somewhat experience of kind of seeing Nirvana. It needs to be the Nirvana show, like just much the way it needs to be the Foo Fighters show when when Jay is on stage. Kind of, you know, you need to kind of realize that at the time that things need to evolve. You do need to pay attention to to what they did on stage or what they do on stage. Like Jay, Jay still obviously you still have to um, to learn all the time because there's constantly new things happening with the Foo Fighters and Nirvana stopped. It stopped in 1994. So it's only you know I, that's it. Whatever you're going to learn, it's already there. 
Um, so the only thing that we're thinking of doing now, um, me, Ali and Mayano, have been looking at songs that haven't been taken to the stage. Um, in particular, songs that haven't been finished. So like uh, Do, Re, Mi, which is one of the last songs Kurt really wrote. We're going to finish that as a complete band track to be able to add that into the show. Um, you know, because people, they, they don't right. really have that experience of hearing that song done properly on stage with the full band. So in the Nirvana style. So, uh-huh. um, yeah. Cool. That's the way we <laughs> Yeah. So how about you, Outshine guys? You, you guys aren't really focused on one particular band. It's it's more that whole grunge movement, I guess. Yeah, the, the music of that time. We've we've picked our favourites. I think we've just cherry we've cherry picked our favourite songs from the albums as much as we can because there's so much content to draw on. And it really comes down like choosing a song list for us is is quite difficult because shows can go for you know well over two hours if and by the by the time you're coming up to an hour and a half you just you rooted. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Busting for a piss. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's happened a few times. <laughs> yeah, we throw to us like indif- something like indifference, and Matty will go and shoot off off stage for a quick twinkle. Um, but I think with us is like basically we've we've created the band that we want to go to the pub and see. Uh, these these are the if I if I was you know drinking beers at a pub and there was a band on and they were playing what we were playing, I would be the happiest man in the world. Cool. And if they, hopefully they just do it a little bit better. <laughs> That'd be great, um, but, but basically that was that's the premise behind it. And yeah, as far as we didn't really sort of concentrate on sort of doing one particular, um, you know, trying to cover one particular artist. We did do some uh, Chris Cornell tribute gigs um, where we focused a lot on Soundgarden and Temple of the Dog and that sort of thing. But that's probably as close as we've gone to specialising in any one person. I think we um, we just don't look like anyone enough to be able to pull it off convincingly. Sure, sure. We- we sort of consciously did that. Like we didn't really want to go down, as you see with with some of the '80s tributes and that. We really didn't want to go down to the um, the dressing up and trying to look like because we cover a few bands. We we didn't. We just wanted to concentrate on the music again. It's for us. It's it's more about the music than than the visual side of things. Um, and and doing a good recreation and, of and doing songs. it and doing it authentically too. Like. You know, uh, especially uh, it's probably somewhere we'll go later. But you know, when it comes to the equipment that we're using, trying to use stuff that was available back in, you know, as far as guitar-wise, you know, I'm using JCM 800s and that sort of thing. So, and it was all about having it. I want bleed off the stage. I want the the amps to so people can hear the amps off the stage and all that sort of stuff. Like it was when you used to go back to the pubs and listen to it, had an energy about it where. You know, these days where everyone's got their their campers and their um axe effects and everything, it's just so sterile and that's it is, isn't it? It that's, is. We didn't want all the in-ear monitoring and and all that stuff. It's just we we want it to. It, it's not so much come to see it's it's that night. It's an experience. It's a nineties experience. It's like when you were at the pub in the nineties. That's exactly what it was bloody like. That's what we wanted to try and do. Yeah. Nice one. We never we never really got over here that many tours from from the band like Alice in Chains, Nirvana. Um it it so I know a Foo Fighters. I, I think I've said <laughs> every, every Foo Fighters <laughs> show but one. Um but we never really got to see bands like that. And we do know that there's an Australian fan base and that 
they would love to go and see those those you know or what we're doing um, because they never got to see Alice in Chains and hear it live. So it's great to be able to play that type of music in a venue and have people come and enjoy the the tunes with us. You know, awesome. Uh, yeah, it's it's we're very I'm thankful every day for it, mate. Um, just yeah, to be able to get up and play the songs that we're playing. Um, yeah, it's great. Cool. I love them. A lot of fun. So how about gear-wise, guys, to, to all you guys, um, are you using guitars like the original artists to try and recreate the sounds? Uh, Jay, I, I know you told us a little story about your guitar the other night. Maybe you can share that that story again with us. Yeah. Uh, John, I mean, I... as well, mate, if you, any gear uh, that you're using that might be the same as Kurt, but I'll start with you, Jay. <laughs> hey, uh, it's kind of, it's all about the gear, really. When you when you think visually on stage, because you you know, I don't look like exactly like Dave Grohl. Um, he's like two stone heavier than me. I, you know, I'm not putting weight on just to look, you know, feel to be a bit <laughs> bit bigger, you know. But um, so yeah, visually, I was thinking. I always put a lot of attention into, um, and so do some of the guys in the band, you know. So collectively, we. We try to visually make it look like when people arrive, they see a stage with all the gear on it and they start to get excited about what's going to happen because actually, yeah, the gear, you know, so, you know, that development of the walk on stage, like the pre-show, the sort of tunes that you would hear at a, at a stadium show, at a Foo Fighters show, they're the pre-tunes, you know, Um how does Dave walk on stage? You know, how does all that happen? So you, you know, you know, it's t it's difficult for John. Obviously, I mean, I've got like the last fifteen years of Foo Fighters. Everything changes, you know. So in a way, we have to evolve with them, you know. Um, but gear wise, um, I mean, I got. I looked for one of these guitars for for a few years. And I was so lucky because I ended up with a guitar that actually is signed by Dave. It says there, cheers, Dave. And he gave this guitar to the edge from U2 around the time uh, it was 2005, Hurricane Katrina, you know, New Orleans flattened. And the edge decided to do like a, a memorabilia auction in New York. And he, I don't know the story. Maybe he, he rang up Dave and said, have you got something that I can, you know, sell uh, mm -hmm. to raise money? But the guy who bought the guitar at that auction to ended up um, putting it up for sale. Uh, I don't know, maybe 2010, something like that. Um, and he lived like 40 minutes from where I live. Wow. And when I rang him up to say, I'm interested in the guitar, I, I didn't want to tell him what I did because <laughs> I'd be like, I'm not going to get a deal on this guitar, you know? Yep. Um, um, so I got it and it came with some pictures of Dave signing it um, from the auction and stuff. So, so there's that one. And then at, before that, when, when, when Dave released uh, the album one by one in 2002, he was using a plexiglass, guitar um, oh, yeah. so that was my first guitar 
I haven't got that to hand, so I can't show you that one. Um, and then the Skin and Bones album came out. So one of my heroes from when I was a kid was actually Elvis Presley. And this is an Elvis Presley limited edition dub acoustic guitar. Oh, wow. Uh, and I'd love to ask Dave, you know, why is he using this guitar when he plays acoustically? Because I see the same little thing on on there with the Elvis Presley signature. He, I've never seen him talk about Elvis Presley, you know? Wow, but that's okay. the guitar of choice, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and then he started using a, a gold DG. I'm like, I don't want a gold guitar. <laughs> I don't want one. But he uses that for drop D in the live shows, you know? So you I had to get the gold one. Have you got a red one as well? A red DG? Yeah, I, it's it's actually the last guitar I bought. Um, they they did a release of the guitar that Dave uses when he's in the studio, which is like his his um, his studio guitar. You know, they released that a few years ago, so I got that as well. But he's not really used that live much. It's he, he used it on. Um, some BBC Radio Live Lounge stuff a couple of years ago, so um, which I got the pleasure of using in the BBC Live Lounge last year, but you know that's another story. So yeah, no gear, definitely. How, how about how the, about amps, Jay? Do do you use the same amps as as Dave Grohl pedal wise as well? Uh, my pedal board is kind of how Dave's was probably for the last four or five years. So yeah, my pedal board has evolved from being not looking like Dave's pedal board, but having a few of the pedal boards on it, a few of the pedals on and then gradually getting closer to it. But it's, it's more about just having the right pedals so you can get the same sound, you know, not, not appearance, if that makes sense. Cool. Cool. Amps around, 2012 when it got serious he was using mesa boogie okay so so i got a mesa boogie rig and even though he's moved away from that now i think he also he uses friedman uh amps and stuff i've just stuck with a mesa boogie because it's an investment i've had it 10 years I, I don't see a reason to start changing amps you know it's you know Mate, if you played a Friedman, you'd understand. <laughs> I'm a fanboy. I'm a big time fanboy. Uh, love, love my Friedman amps. Um, how about you, John? Gear wise, mate, do you, you try to re recreate what Kurt was using, or have you gone with your own thing? Um, well, I kind of used to stick with my own thing. I had, I used like Jags on stage and Mustangs and stuff, but uh, I had my own kind of custom red for for many years. A couple of years ago, I did a show in Liverpool, and that night, uh, the gear was all stolen. So, uh, so yeah, that was a nightmare. So, red was taken forever, uh, along with a, um, a Jaguar that was loaned to me at the time, actually. Oh, no. um, so it was heartbreaking. Um, but I, I, I have to get up to get this. Or I can slow back. But then I went with the, the card guitar. Oh, cool. So, uh, and a shout out to uh, to Nick Johnson in Wales for sorting me out with this because 
I actually sent Nick a message. He was on eBay selling this. And uh, I spotted it in in the car on the way back from Liverpool after the theft. And I, I sent him a message and I said, look, here's the story, man. We played the show last night as part of the tour and a nightmare happened, a nightmare scenario. And I really need this guitar that you sell it. So uh, he was nice enough to do a, a deal with me and he took it down off eBay. Uh, well, cleverly, actually, he said, look, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to agree to this price. And he sold it to me for probably less than he would have got if it went to full option. Yeah. If I'm honest. Yeah. So he was a really nice guy. I think he just wanted to help me out. And he was a Nirvana fan as well. So um, he wanted to see it go to the band. And um, yeah, yeah, what a great guy. <laughs> so thank you, Nick. Thank you for that again. Yeah. Definitely, definitely meant a lot to me, man. Um, that, that's, the main, that's the main guitar that I use, I guess, on stage now all the time. Is, uh, is that guitar. It's, it's been through some overhauls. It didn't quite start like this, but it's... Yeah. Uh, it's as close as you can get to his now, I can guarantee it. Um, it's closer than the, than the Fender release, as far as I know. Oh, cool. Um, so, yeah, as regards to the bridge makeup and stuff like that. Um, then I had a guy in Italy, um, and bad guitars in Italy, uh, made me hits. And oh, it, it, oh, wow. Um, oh, wow. It, it isn't worth $6.3 million. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw that. That was just um, a few few days ago, wasn't it? They they sold it. Yeah, um, it was bought by the founder of Code Microphone. Non American. Um, apparently, when they handed him the guitar, he was just shitting brick. You know. So yeah, that's uh, that's this. This is my main, obviously my main acoustic uh, uh, for all the unplugged stuff. I need to get the cream knobs for it though. Couldn't get the. <laughs> cream knobs anyway so if anybody out there knows where to get these cream knobs that Kurt had on that guitar let me know <laughs> send me a message cool. do something <laughs> get those knobs um, for amplifiers it's the same as Jay pretty much except Kurt went over to uh, Crown Amps and he was using uh, Mesa Boogie preamps and stuff like that so I didn't go with that I just went with the dual rectifier I, I used that for pretty much everything um, and then I use Marshall. I never go past Marshall. So uh, I use Marshall uh, 1968s. Um, and that, that suits me. Um, the pedal board. pedal board I've adapted and changed so much over the last one. It's kind of silly. Uh, it's, it's not as close to Perks as it used to be. It used, it used to replicate Perks exactly. Uh, the polychorus and stuff. And they weren't really boards. It was just two separate things that I just threw on the floor. Um, but I kind of had enough of those being when I trash things at the end of the show, I just trash generic guitars. Things just tend to slide around the floor a little bit, especially when you've got like two separate boards that aren't really tethered down or anything, they're just like floating around. So, um, now I kind of shrunk everything down to one board that I can put in a bag on my back and take on the planes with me. Because nice. I'm sure, Jamie, the panic and the pain of trying to get your fucking pedal board there in one piece. The worry of getting to the other side. I, I When I went to, the, to do the Australian tour where I met Mike and Matt, uh, I, I, I bought a brand new uh, NSP flight case that uh, had my pedal board in it and I had all my clothes in it as well. Um, and somehow still, the airline managed to pierce a massive hole straight through the front of a flight case <laughs> into the interior. I don't know how we did this, but yeah, I don't know what it was. I can't remember. 
Oh, we're talented down here. Man, I've seen <laughs> yeah. I've seen the way um, airline um, the the guys had the baggage handlers treat gear, and it's not cool. It's not cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've we've been we've been really fortunate a couple of times uh, that we've had people that actually wanted to. They were fans of ours, and people that were going to the shows were baggage handlers. It happened in uh, Slovenia, I think, to me and Ali, where the guy, the guy carried out our guitars, and he was just like. So you put them down really gently in front of us. He's like, they have to look cool. after really well, really well. That never happens. Came to the show that night. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, okay, so this is a guitar show, so I'm going to concentrate more on Maddie than Mikey with the outshined here. So, Maddie, what, oh, what are you running, mate? What are you running? Um, so, guitar-wise, um, and going back to what Jay was saying about about his Dave Grohl guitar. I think guitars find people personally rather than the other way around. Um, I always played strats and uh, a guy I played in a band with, he was a strat, I played in another band, he was always a strat player and he said, oh, do you want a Les Paul? And I went, oh, not really. And he said, you should see this one I've got under the bed. So he said he bought it in 1987 from the States, imported it, never played it. And this was 1996. He rolls out Arctic White Les Paul Custom, never been played. And I went, okay, how much do you want for that? And he said, two grand Australian, which was about half price. So I went, well, that's got to happen. So I bought that. Um, and that's been my main guitar ever since. So it's now no longer pristine. It's now this is dirty tobacco yellow color, which is just amazing. Um, so guitar-wise, that's what I use there. Um, when we started in this band, I got sick of tuning up and down because some are detuned and some are open tuning. So I thought I'll go and try and find another Les Paul custom. So I looked on the old Facebook marketplace and I was going up to the Sunshine Coast for work and there was a guy advertising one for twenty seven hundred dollars, which again is probably about fifteen hundred cheaper than what they normally go for. So I went up and met him and he said, If you have a beer for me, I'll give with me, I'll give it to you for two and a half. And I went, Great, I'll take that. And so I ended up with that. And the beer. Uh, <laughs> and the beer. Which was great. He shouted the beer as well. Um so yeah, I'm basically Les Paul Customs, um, one detuned, one standard tuning they're all down a half step obviously um i've also got a, a gold top uh 56 historic series that i use for for more of the cleaner stuff and uh, and the pearl jam stuff so so basically for depending on the music like for the sound garden stuff i'll use the the black one it's got slightly higher output pickups um for the stone temple pilots and all the stuff that's in standard tuning i'll use the the white one and i'll use the gold one for things like pearl jam and stuff that are more of an open sound rock sound um, so guitar-wise, that's about it. I do have a Strat, but I need Rick to show me how to play that. I haven't really worked that out yet. Um, uh, Amp-wise, I, like I was saying before, I'm probably in a bit different from you guys and that you guys do this professional and you probably don't want to, you know, you've got to be practical about what you do. I'm very impractical about what I do. <laughs> My whole thing is if I can't play through two Marshall 100-watt stacks, half stacks I'm not playing, that's my... <laughs> And I, I do that for the specific purpose of profiling the gigs so we don't end up in those shit gigs where you're standing underneath the TV screen in the corner of a pub. Watching the sound meter. Yeah, watching the sound watching meter. Watching the sound meter. Um, but basically I run, um, I've got a, a Jubilee, a 2555 Marshall Jubilee reissue. Um, I run that. Um, and I've got a Randy Rhodes signature head that I run as well. So obviously the Randy Rhodes signatures through our, our Rivera rock crusher recording attenuator so it doesn't blow people's heads off mm -hmm. um 
and the Jubilee just runs straight into, and I run two Marshall cabinets, one with vintage 30s and one with um, greenbacks in it. So I sort of go with that whole Jerry Cantrell thing of having one sort of a thicker sound and one little bit of a brighter sound to sort of play the two. And since I've started using two amps many years ago, I find it hard to go back to one now. It just sounds one-dimensional. When you get two in there, it does this thing. Yeah. Um, and go ahead. the back. Yeah, it's awesome. It's good exercise. It's my exercise. Um, and and I have a ute that utility that I have to carry all this around in. <laughs> and, and with my pedal board, I've got a um a gig rig Pro 14. So my whole thing is having a, a as clear a signal as I can from the from the amp to the to the sorry from the guitar to the amplifier. So I just basically the only things in lines a wah and a, a Digitech whammy that I use for one song once every six gigs. Um, and then it goes straight into the Gig Rig Pro 14. So from there, I can set all the patches up, and it'll change all the, it'll change the channel on Jubilee, so and cut heads in and out to give me the clean and the crunch sound. But generally, it's always two amps on and a nice crunchy sound. If I hit the clean, it'll drop one amp out and change the Jubilee to a clean sound. But then I come up with this idea that if I plug one of the heads in through one of those tone bone uh, head switches. I can run a third head and use it as a lead for lead as well. Oh, cool. lead. Well, so I'm running, I've got a, an old 981 model JCM 800 vertical input thing. So I've got that stuck behind and I just have that wound up a bit more. So when I hit a lead channel, I'll switch the Jubilee out into that head and give me a bit of a lead boost now. So I sort of, it's pure piggery and totally Absolutely. But it's just, I don't know, it's just one of those things. It's <laughs> quite great. like it. It's great. But, I love it. But it's just like, um, I like to set them up just like a nice crunch sound. And, and for Australian people, like I always listen to Screaming Jets all for one album. And like, for my mind, it's just like meat and potatoes guitar sound. And that's the basis of the sound I use. I've got a couple of overdrives that I put in. Um, one's like a clone, like a clone clone. And they're just going down a little bit of a level boost. And it just gives the amps a little bit of a kick here and there. But other than that, it's pretty much just straight Marshall. Aha. Uh -huh. So... I remember um, when I was playing with you thinking, oh, what are you doing? You're running those in stereo or, or not? But it's interesting. You're actually kicking in an extra. Well, you got two most of the time. Pull yeah. back to just one and change that to a clean channel and then kick in the third for your solos. Yeah, well, the third one, because it's one of those radial head, I think they call it a head bone. Yeah. So you plug two heads into the one cabinet. Yeah, right. So yeah. When you hit the lead channel, the, the gig rig got some channel switching outputs. So this will change the the head bone, and it'll it'll drop the jubilee out and put th out of the cabinet and put the JCM eight hundred into the cabinet. Okay, okay. So it's not like yeah. you've got an extra one that kicks in for volume no, wise. It's it's switching no, the head out. Yeah. Out puts the other one in. So you can plug two you can plug two heads into the one cabinet basically through this um, through this unit. Um, okay. And it's switchable. So. Yeah. Yeah, so just sort of throw things in and out like that. It um, it sounds complicated, but um, it, 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 yeah, it's too complicated for me. But I fuck it up all the time beautifully. <laughs> <laughs> and and then the other the other good thing is when you've got a two and a half year old daughter at home, and uh, she gets in there and starts flicking switches and turning knobs. You never know what the fuck's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jay's mum, I swore. <laughs> <laughs> and funnily enough, Maddie, when I was playing with you guys, because I saw the, the rig that you had, and I'd always try and bring something to, to complement the other player when I, when I play in two guitar bands. So I brought my Telecaster. I've got a Richie Cotson Telecaster back. This is all backwards. I, I, that there is my Richie Cotson Tele. So I was playing that mostly. 
and just my Friedman small box head straight into mm. a cab with no effects. Because yeah. I saw you, you were like, okay, you're you're going to go the the full, bring everything. I'm going to complement that by just going guitar, cable, head, <laughs> yeah. and just turn my volume down to to get a clean sound. Yeah, you're, that Freeman head of yours has got such a thick sound too. Where um, we, with the, I've got a couple of Mesa Boogie Dual rectifiers at home too, are great, but they're just a they're just a wall of sound. Um, and the thing that that Freeman of yours with it being thicker. Um, and with mine having, you know, a bit more of that Marshall sort of a sound, it really worked quite well. It was a nice yeah. balance, I thought. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, guys, um, maybe not so much the outshine guys, but for Nirvana Tribute and UK Foo Fighters, I know when I was doing the Brian May thing, that people would come up to me and, and talk to me after the show, and they would talk to me as if I was Brian May. Do you guys get that? Okay. Cool. <laughs> Uh, I would say uh, there's there's been occasions of that, um, and the ones that I remember are where there were some people in the audience who'd come to the show, and they were clearly, you know, not from. This was in the UK, and they weren't from the UK. In fact, I think it was like two or three uh, Polish girls. And the command of the English language wasn't that great. And I was like, these are way too excited. What, what, why are they so excited? You know? <laughs> and then after a while, it was like, okay, someone saved me <laughs> because they think I'm Dave Grohl, you know? So there's, it's happened occasionally, but um, most of the time people are just, you know, very complimentary and I think the one thing I quite like to hear is when they say, we like that. Yeah, I think like John was saying, I maybe phrase things differently. So I sound a little bit more like Dave. But but then when I'm all out singing, I'm just singing, you know, it's just me. So I, I quite like it when people say, you know, we, you guys did an awesome job. But it wasn't cheesy. It was it was still a rock show, and you know you guys rock in your own right. You know, cool. Um, that's the best compliment because then because I you know I remember for the first few years it was uncomfortable. It was like, oh, why am I doing this? You know, people are expecting me to to fill those shoes. You know, and whilst I've got better at filling them, I'm still not Dave Grohl. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, John. Yeah, for me, man, I don't know. Like, I think it's because Kurt's not with us anymore. I, there's a little bit more of it, you know. Um, I think from younger people as well, and I, I think I am. Um, there's a lot of fans from Indonesia and stuff, and we've never played there. But I mean, they're all over our socials. I mean, in 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 their thousands, and they just religiously call me Kurt, and they refuse to to call me anything else. And it's kind of like, I've given up saying, no, actually, it's John. <laughs> so <laughs> I've given up doing that at this point. I mean, at shows, it happens as well. I mean, it happens a little a little bit in the UK, but but not as much. Like, Jay is kind of probably the same. It's like, there's not as much of it. People are a little bit more. It's when you go international, when you go, 
when we go some places, like people are just, yeah, it's the first thing they say. Maybe it's because they don't know my actual name. Like, so after the show, they see me and they come running over or whatever, or, you know, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's weird. It's it's strange. <laughs> it's definitely strange. It's like I always try to stop people and I'm like, no, <laughs> definitely not. It's John. Nice to meet you, kind of rather than. So it's always made that's always made me a little bit uncomfortable. But um, I guess when people come to the shows and stuff, the one thing that I I take from it that I like hearing from people is that we get a lot of people that say, um, my friend brought me, or I wasn't going to come tonight, and I don't really like tribute bands and. You know, I, I don't normally come to tribute bands. And, and then they say, but I really enjoyed this, you know. Um, and I guess like Jay as well, it's like when they say, I really enjoyed this because in your own right, you know. Um, they, they seem to be like that when we went to Hong Kong. People just seemed to, they were on a different level. They were like, um, they understood we're a tribute band, but they still had the same fanatical kind of thing a little bit, but more because we were us and that was more of a that was a nice feeling <laughs> if you get me that was a that was a good feeling very cool hey jay you um got up and and sang with foo fighters didn't you yeah it was um 2014 they they were they were in the uk for the first time in three years and they were they were playing the Invictus Games, there was this story in the news that um, Prince Harry had, had phoned up Dave and said, will you come and headline my festival? And so they came to the UK and they did some private shows, you know, like um, last minute gigs, you know. And um, we were due to play a place in Brighton called Concord 2. The Foo Fighters had played there before they played Wembley in 2007, 2008. And um, I kind of wanted to replicate what they did there. So we were we were replicating and planning to do this show. And the guy who owns the place rang me up. And he said, you can't tell anybody. The world doesn't know. But the Foo Fighters are coming back in about a week's time to play a show here. I mean, you're joking. So here we were, we were, we were recreating what they did from 2008 in that venue. And the guy calls me and says, they're coming back six years later. So don't tell anybody, keep it to yourself. Don't even tell the guys in the band, just keep it to yourself. I'll put you on the guest list. Don't worry about tickets, come down, get there in the afternoon and I'll see if I can get you to meet the guys and this, that and the other. So um, the pre-meet didn't happen really. I, well, I didn't meet Dave before the show because literally the world's press were there. It was like crazy. The venue had like 400 people in and there were 4,000 people outside just there to, to hear, you know, the Foo Fighters. Um, so when the band started arriving, um we met pat outside we met rami and we chatted with them and we chatted with some of the crew um little did i know that dave was in the venue looking at our posters on the wall going <laughs> oh my god it's it's me on the wall you know um and he was like super excited that we were there what they're here in the audience tonight and and the guy who owns the place said, you know, it's Jay's dream 
to sing with you guys. Um, and, you know, he'd like to meet you, but I appreciate he can't right now because there's too much press and this, that, and the other. So literally he comes out on stage and I think they did one or two songs and he, and he goes, hey guys, there's actually a bit of pressure tonight. Uh, we've got the UK Foo Fighters are in the house and we've been talking backstage going, shit the bed, what if we make a mistake? They're going to be like, nah, that's not how it goes. Um, so he tells this story, he gets me to put my hand up and the whole place is looking at me and he's going, are we doing all right? Is this, is this good? And I'm like going, yeah, it's good, it's good. Um, yeah, it was awesome because I was so excited that I was getting to see the Foo Fighters with just 350 people, you know? I mean, the place was off the wall and I was totally lost, like in the pit, consumed by the fact that A, I was watching the Foo Fighters with 300 people and B, he just talked about me and my band, you know? I, wow. He's, I've, I've, never, I've never heard him talk about tribute ever. So just that acknowledgement was so exciting. And I just felt like through the first five or six songs, he was watching me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then he goes at the end of, um, oh, I can't remember the song he, he played the end of, but he just points at me and he said, dude, I can't swear, mum. So uh, <laughs> I won't say exactly what he said, but he said, uh, he said, I want to see what you got. Get your ass up here now. Cool. So I, I got on stage and no pressure. <laughs> there's just this distortion. And then he, he turns to Taylor and bam, white limo. And he looks at me and he just gestures to the mic. And I'm like, oh, ah! and, and we were there. And, and, you know, in a way, people say, how did you sing that song? It is like the worst song to sing vocally in terms of the fact that it's just, ah, you know, like noise. It's not even singing. Wow. Um, but we just learned that track and we've been, we opened with it for like the, the last five or six shows. So I was like, as soon as I heard it, I was like, yes. Can you imagine if he played something that I wasn't quite hot on? You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, maybe maybe, maybe that's why he got you for that one was because he he thought, oh, this one's a bit of a challenge, Watch. and uh, yeah, I could do it with a bit of a break. Hey, we'll get Jay up <laughs> and test him at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's absolutely well, awesome. What a song! So I ended up that that moment took us. Although we've not done lots of international stuff, that took the band international. I had hundreds and hundreds of messages from people all over the world you know diehard Foo Fighter fans and you know I, that was really humbling because I always felt like the diehards would be like oh go and die Jay we don't want to see any of that crap you know yeah just but but it's not like that that they know I'm a fan they know what that what that night meant to me they they could see it you know um so thanks to hey a shout out to the foo family worldwide <laughs> thanks for uh, believing in tribute nice one 
Man, that's awesome. It's it's funny. As I said, I, I did the whole Brian May thing for a few years, and I wasn't that big a Queen fan. It wasn't as if, oh, yeah, I'm going to be doing this. I actually met Brian's guitar tech at the last show that Queen ever played before the, all the stuff went down. Um, and I wasn't overrun with, oh, my God, I'm talking to Pete Melandrone or anything like that. It was just like, oh, okay, mate, how are you going? Yeah, yeah. Um, so... That must be mind blowing to to actually be a real big fan of somebody and get up there and do that kind of thing. Um, totally. I was, was going to say, John, that there'd be no chance that you'd have any similar experiences because, I mean, Kurt's long mm-hmm. gone. Have you ever heard from any of the other ex members uh, along the way? You know, from Chris or from uh, from Dave. Yeah, Dave, I've heard from Aaron Burkhardt, uh, who was really nice. Aaron's a really good guy. Gave us uh, some really good confidence. Who's and, uh, he? This is actually a, he was the original Nirvana drummer. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, yeah, and then it's Chad Channing as well. So, so those guys, yeah, those guys, they know of us and know what we do and stuff. And there's a, there's a blessing there, I guess. But uh, from Dave, no, and from Chris, no, that would be good. I'd like to have Dave in the background at some point. I'm sure Mayana wouldn't mind handing over his sticks for <laughs> for a song or two. That, that <laughs> I got a question, John. Do you, What's that? Are you scared of Courtney? Like, do you look over your shoulder? <laughs> I'll be like, we're the most paranoid man. <laughs> don't say the C word. Well, well. Yeah, don't say the C words. Jay's mother said we're not allowed to swear. <laughs> I mean, there's the uh, there's the obvious conspiracy theories there about about Courtney, but it also brings up like copyright issues and stuff as well. Have Have you guys? Any of you run into issues with infringing trademarks or anything like that along the way? Um, hey, listen. Well, we PRS. What's that, John? We we pay uh, we pay PRS like and stuff. So I mean, we're paying, you know, we're paying for for playing these songs basically in every venue we go to, pretty much. So you know, I think that has to be like that for every tribute. Now it's just everybody has to come. In. Has to pay back a little bit. So, so see, Courtney wins still. She's getting that. She does a little bit, but um, I, I don't know. I don't know if I, <laughs> I don't know if I should say this, right? But I, I, I kind of go out of my way to list the songs that I'm listing on there, are like, like the Vaseline's, David Bowie's, The Man Who Sold the World, and you know, I'm, I'm listing, I'm listing bands on there so that they get, they get the royalties. Yeah, they yeah. get the, the royalties. PRS only want you to list eight or ten, so. Oh, you know. okay, cool. They cool. did a lot of covers, Anna. They did a lot of covers. Yeah, right. So, Jay, with UK Food Fighters, no no issues along the way with the name or anything, or. No, not really. I mean, um, I was telling you guys off air that you know I had contact from the Foo Fighters management after the performance with Dave, which was like incredibly complimentary, and you know they loved what we were doing, and you know they 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 definitely reveal that they have a history of 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 tribute encounter of you know varying degrees, um, and yeah, I, I guess like I was telling you guys at the time I was actually using the ff logo and they said look you guys are kind of like quite well known now and all we want to do is just avoid confusion out there we don't want confusion so 
um, I just changed changed our logo and and made it our own. Um, so there was no confusion. Um, but the benefit of, you know, awareness of UK Foo Fighters, you know, you only have to search as uh, uh, on Google and, and put, you know, when are the Foo Fighters next playing in the UK? And you get three words that match our band name. So even though I, it wasn't premeditated, there's definitely been reach because of the band name, you know? Um, as for like PRS, yeah, it's like 150, 200 pounds. Every single show goes to the Foo Fighters. I, you know, it'd be great if Dave got like his paycheck every month and went, Oh, nice one, Jay. Thanks a lot. You know? <laughs> nice. But I'm not sure it works like that, you know? <laughs> Probably just 80 cents. <laughs> yeah, yeah oh, it's ridiculous, the whole streaming thing. Don't get me started on that. But yeah, he probably makes more out of you than he does for str- from streaming. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so people that are watching live, uh, if you do have any questions, uh, please leave them in the, in the chat room and I'll, I'll start going through those uh, to see, uh, just to read off the questions in real time. And I'm going to go back th- through them now. I did see one before... Go back up to the top here. I saw one from Link. He said, no, it's too much jibber-jabber. <laughs> when did Mikey become a nun? <laughs> Mikey, the chair. The chair. Thanks for the heads up, guys. But he also did call you God of Thunder. So, um... Just really I saw one on there for me actually about about set lists. Do do the fans shape your song lists? That's from uh, Big Fella Link. Yeah, that's what I was looking for. Um, so I can answer that one. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know what to begin with? Obviously, it's you you kind of play the songs that you learn, and then what what has generally happened is uh, we've started following what the Foo Fighters are playing as we learn the new songs. Um, then you've got like the diehards that, you know, they're screaming at Dave and they're holding up signs playing, please play enough space or weenie beanie or, you know, stuff. And um, we like to play those songs. So we kind of started to try and play some old stuff more than Dave to give people something that they couldn't get from Dave. So that kind of happened. But then you realize that if you're only playing to like six or 800 people, that song is not known by 700 of the 800 people in the room. So you could tell in the, in the gig, you know, that there was this drop in, in energy from the audience when you played something that was a little bit left field. So, so yeah, in a way, then you end up going, actually, well, we're not going to play that one again. <laughs> you know, we, we made a fan really happy and I'm a, I'm a really, I'm sure the guys are as well. I'm a, you know, it's all about the fans for me. And, you know, if I get any opportunity to do something special for somebody in the audience that night, whether it's a dedication or, 
or play a song that you know that they've requested anything like that it's about engaging with the people in the room you know and i i always say when the room starts to light up like a, a foo fighters concert you know i always say to people now it's a foo fighters show because <laughs> of you cool you know because that's true you know when they start singing my hero it takes me to being in the in the audience at a foo fighters show you know because i've seen them like i don't know 15 times and that is fantastic. It's kind of surreal because I'm stood on stage where Dave stood, but but once the audience take off like that, the songs just sing themselves. It's like it's fantastic. It's so to to experience that at this time in life when I should be just taking my daughter to school and preparing pack ups and mowing the lawn and doing DIY and all that stuff. <laughs> I'm I'm getting to live my schoolboy dreams, you know, on stage. So That's awesome. That's awesome. How about you, John? Do uh just to read the question again, do the fans shape your song <laughs> yeah. lists or do you stick to a formula that works in general? Um I used to stick to a formula. I used to kind of stick to the in utero kind of setup, I guess, like the nineteen ninety four tour in around that time. It start with like a radio friendly unit shift and stuff. So I, I kind of kept that set up for years. I just shuffled a few songs around. So people, it, it, it got to the, in the end where, especially when Live and Loud was released on DVD and stuff, that people could kind of predict our show. You know, they kind of knew what was coming next. See, I'd hear people in the front row, like before I played Rate Me or something, like Rate Me, and they're tapping each other, like it's coming, you know what I mean? And they knew that. So I'm like, a, a year ago, we, me and the guys were talking, I'm like, we're going to have to shuffle the whole set. We're going to have to do something unique and kind of start shifting things around a little bit now. So, yeah, we try to keep people on their toes. And uh, I think sometimes, because I'm getting a bit older and my eyes are getting bad, I can't see set lists sometimes when I look on the floor. <laughs> so I just like I just pick something randomly and just go, and the guys are like, all right, and they just go with it. And Ali might stroll across the stage and go, hey, man, you kind of forgot to play lithium. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so our set list, I don't know, man, we just, our set list now has just become, I don't know, whatever, you know, we, we kind of, we try to keep it a little bit fresh, we try to keep it surprising for people, and sometimes it's surprising for ourselves, <laughs> it just nice. ends up being that sometimes. Yeah. yeah. How about you guys uh, in Outshined? Um, we've got ours pretty well set out before we start. A lot of it varies on, obviously, the singer's voice, you know, going into sort of doing Chris Cornell's stuff, you know, we're sort of cracking to that too early. Um, but So we'll sit out. We do a two-hour set generally. Um, you know, we've got a couple of songs that have got a pre-recorded intro, so we'll do one of those, like we do Stink Fist, I think. So we do that as the pre-recorded intro, and then we'll go in from there. And we'll just gauge it as we go. We'll come through and judge the energy of the room. If it starts to drop, we'll put something in a bit more, you know, a bit more positive. Because a lot of this stuff sort of starts with guitar. I can sort of, um, you know, predict the song list before anyone gets a chance to argue with me. So I'll, I'll, you know, if I think it's dropping a little bit, I'll call out another song and we'll change it around a little bit. Again, so it's a little bit fluid. Feed off the, feed off the crowd. Yeah, it just really depends on what the crowd, the crowd wants to do. Um, but we always generally start and finish at the same places. Um, yeah. We always generally start on Sting Fist and finish on Jesus Christ Pose. So everything in the middle is up for grabs, really. Um, but And a lot of it will depend on tuning, too. So as I'm not swapping guitars around cool, you know, yeah. all the yeah. time. So we'll bunch the songs together in relation to that and 
just judge it. But yeah, it's a bit fluid. It generally gets a bit fluid about two thirds of the way through. Yeah. With, Jack. It became hard. It became a challenge because um, Matt and I, we'd sort of discuss the song list a few days beforehand and I, late last year I put it out there to to just people. I posted the set list and said, um, it's getting really hard to select what to play. What do you guys want to hear? Because there's so much content in there um, and a limited amount of time that you can play. Um, you want to play your whole list, but... Um, yeah, I put it out there to on our Facebook page and said, what do you guys want to hear on the next show? Um, because there was, you know, you can only, we might have 10 Pearl Jam songs. You can't play them all. So which what, what do you guys want to hear? Um, the tool stuff, we, we try to keep, we try to fit it all in. Um, we've, you know, we've recently added some Faith No More. Um, it's, it isn't, yeah, it's fluid. That's the best way to put it. We, we sort of, again, read the crowd. Um, we know what, we know, we can gauge what works. We, we've all, again, we've all got our favourites that we like to try and get in there. Um, but it does depend, a lot of it depends on Maddie as well with his vocals. Um, you know, you try to leave Soundgarden a little bit to a few songs in because it's, it's a strain first off. Um, yeah, it's a roller coaster. Bit of fun, just uh, see what you feed off the crowd, really. Cool. Um, yeah, generally start pretty, go out pretty hard and then throw a couple of slow ones in, uh, you know, pick it back up. You can you can see how, how the crowd responds, you know, and, and just pick off what they're doing. So there was a question there from Dex, and he wanted to know what Maddie's favourite Nirvana song is to play live. But I'm gonna I'm gonna expand on that a bit. <laughs> My favourite. Thanks, Dex. I really appreciate it. We always have this big argument because <clears throat> Nirvana, although it's a band I like to listen to, it's not a band I particularly enjoy playing so much because um, I'm too lazy to learn all the intricacies of those guitar. I'd rather leave it to the experts like John. Um, but we actually, I do, I do quite like territorial pissings because there's there's not too much to that. I'm happy with that one. So Dex, territorial pissings, mate. <laughs> so, what is your favourite song? Full stop to play out of you guys set from Mikey and Matt first up. Oh, well, I'm easy. I'm man, man in a box is always good for me. I love that song. I love Alice in Chains, man. Yeah. Alice in yeah. Stone Temple Pilots. Uh, it's hard, even that, you know. Then there's so much great Soundgarden stuff. I love Jeff and Men's bass playing, so it's really hard to. That's a shit to, answer, Mike. Just give us one for Christ's oh, sake. <laughs> I really like We Die Young, Alice in Chains. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Our right, Rusty Page, we've just started putting that in there. That's becoming a bit of a bit of a favourite. That's too, a bit so. of a fave. Yeah. Nice. Just on the uh, the pure challenge of the whole thing, but um. It's not an easy yeah. song. Man in the box. I love that song. Yeah. Yeah. What about yeah. you, John? What's your favourite Nirvana tune to play, mate? Um, I suppose I like playing Drain You. I mean, Drain You was Kurt's favourite, so it's fun to play for that. I feel like kind of, you know, I get a little bit of a buzz every time I play it, but I do like playing stuff like Negative Creep and that as well. Uh, I, I'm just still buzzing on the fact that Matt just said I was an expert. I've never been called an expert in anything in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an after you guys at that show, I can understand why people think that you're Kirk Cobain. You were channeling that shit. It was scary. It was it brilliant. Was so, so, yeah, good, man. No, hats off. Because I've seen, I've, we've seen 
the guys play live. We've been in a room and, and watched the experience. And, dude, I walked away from that show in December going, I just saw Nirvana. I mean, wow. oh, I knew it wasn't on stage, but hearing it and seeing John do it, it was just incredible. On a Thursday <laughs> night, <laughs> oh, man, it was so worthy. Uh, and all our friends that were there were blown away. Oh. So, yeah, no, amazing. Next level. Hats Next off level. To you guys. If you haven't seen, like, if you get the opportunity to see the boys live, don't miss it. I mean, I never saw Nirvana. Um, they were, like, two kilometres away, and I was playing a show when they played here on the Gold Coast. I never got to see that gig, and I kicked myself for years that I went and did a covers band gig when I could have seen them. They weren't, you know, it was before... It was right on on the release of ne of Nevermind, Never yeah. I played, played that show with you, man. That was we were playing at Club Pacific, and they were across the water. We could see we could see show. thousands of people just wow. going yeah. on. Um, hey. Nirvana supported Violent Femmes mm. at that at that show. Um, so seeing the guys in Brisbane and hearing it live, it was it was insane. That's exactly what I hoped. Like sitting there watching those guys it's like wow if that's what i want to get to doing with with outshine you know to be able to play that stuff you cover it so well so well so worthy and i can't wait to see jay the same the same thing i've seen a, i've watched a lot of their videos um and live crowd stuff that from the facebook page and what your one of your early questions is was uh you know characterizing yourself like even if you don't try to do it, Jay, you've you've got it. You've got the you the way you've got characteristics of Dave playing, whether it's being done purposely. I don't think it is. I think it's just come through in the way that you play, the way that you sing. Um, I think when I first friended you, I showed Mandy, my wife, a video of you. I think it's shot side like side of face. And I just said, look, it looks looks and sounds exactly the same. It's it's so cool. Um, it's really it's good, man. But to, yeah, you guys, um, Nirvana tribute in Brisbane. That was a highlight of of twenty nineteen for me. It was killer night. Yeah, really awesome. cool. Awesome. So Jay, how about you, man? What's your favourite uh, Foo Fighters song to play? I think. Uh... I'm going to have to answer that with two answers. The first one is whenever we perform White Limo, it just takes me back to singing White Limo with Dave. I mean, I uh, and the guys. Um, it's weird. Uh, until that point, I used to dream about meeting Dave before a show and, and getting to know him. And, and then one day he was going to like get me on stage and, that day I had my guitar with me and I, I was wanting to get on stage with my guitar and it'd be, like, be the two of us going, you know, and stuff like that. But that, that didn't happen then. Um, so, yeah, White Limo, um, selfishly. Um, but then really probably Best of You, you know, because it's just a, such a stadium anthem and... Um, you know, like God, when when he played it at Wembley in two thousand and eight, and everyone was singing it back to him, I, I always kind of have that in my head when when the room is 
you know, going, whoa, back at us on stage, you know, and it just goes on and on. And we end up just standing there waiting for the whole room to stop doing what happens at a Foo Fighters stadium show, you know? Um, Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, So I'm just scanning the questions some more. Um, What did I see there? What does John think of Kurt's guitar coming down under for near nine mil? Is that is that what it sold for? Nine million Australian. It was six point three million. Is what it was auctioned for. I think. Who bought that? The guy, the guy that owns Rode Microphones, bought it. Rick. Oh really? Yeah. yeah. Shit. It's just a markup on microphones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, apparently, it's going to be toured. Um, and the proceeds are going to the, the proceeds from, you know, if you go to see, or pay to go to see the guitar, um, is going to a charity. So, yeah. Wow. So we're talking about gear before and Mikey, I'm just looking at, at your room there and you got some nice gear behind you there, mate. You got the, the Ashdown, uh, set up and, and, and the bases. Give us a bit of a rundown on your gear, mate. It's nice to have it in here. Well, like generally, when generally out, it's not here. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's, fuck uh, off, Matty. Not here, and, out, not here and set up. Um, yeah, all Ashdown. I was actually going to ask uh, Jay if the bass player in UK Foo Fighters um, plays Ashdown. If you've got Ashdown cap, because Nate, Nate plays is a is an Ashdown player. Um, I've got a BTA four hundred. Tube head, it's the uh, the big tube amp, which I've only just got in the last few months, and it has blown me away. Pretty much, it's it's the holy grail for me. Um, everything that I've had in the last twenty years, thirty years, um, that blows everything out of the water. I just absolutely love it. Um, so for the the rig for Outshined, I run both the cabs, two six by ten. Um, I have a channel switcher on the floor. So the ABM on this side, I'm using as uh, effects, like effect rig. So, and then I'm using the BTAs just clean, just straight in. Um, and yeah, my pedal board runs through the ABM and that's pretty much my rig. Nice. Sorry, this I've, is just I've like, a, just like one a, of our gigs. I go to the bathroom when the bass solo's on. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got to have a quite a, a big rig to compete with Matt's Marshalls. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, you don't hear me. Um, bases, uh, I've had my Stingray for, oh, I think I got it in 89. That thing's a work of art. Yeah, it's, um, that, that's been with me forever. And the last four, four or five years, I've finally got my hands on a Sandberg, which I've wanted for about 10 years, um, just didn't have the finances. Uh, and in the last, when I got the first one, the blue one just here, within 12 months, I'd ordered another one because they are so good. They're nice. such a beautiful base. Um, yeah, I've, I've got another Ashdown 600, the Geezer Butler head. Um, just over behind Maddie, and then also there's a 300 watt. Um, what is the C- the CTM? So 
basically, if I had have spent them, invested the money in the BTA first, I probably wouldn't have had the other ones. But it it sort of went the other way around. I got the ABM, then the CTM, then the Giza, trying them all out, playing them extensively, and then I finally had a really good option to get the BTA uh, over here in Melbourne. Uh, I picked it up for a, a brilliant price from uh, Base Workshop down in Melbourne. Hey, Drew, if you're watching. Um, and that straight away is when I played it, plugged it in and played it. It is just the tone that I've been looking for my whole life. Cool. Really. Um, big kudos to, to Mark and Lee and Dan and everyone at Ashdown. They've been brilliant throughout the last six, seven years with um, – with my gear and helping me out. Um, they've been a great company to be associated with. Uh, I was lucky enough to go to NAM 2018, 2019, um, <clears throat> and touch base with the guys over there and uh, established a pretty good relationship with them. And uh, Mark's been brilliant. So they've really helped me out with um, their base knowledge and uh, their gear is just incredible. So. Nice yeah, I love my Ashdown gear. I've had a lot of gear over the years, man. Like I've played Galleon, I've played Trace. I've had Trace Elliott rigs back in uh, early nineties. Started on PV originally. Um, I've had Ampeg, but yeah, I've, about six years ago I first got a an Ashdown quad box, and then um, I was using a Trace Elliott head. Then um, someone suggested try the ABM for um, to replace the head. And once I got that, it, it sort of all became uh, apparent to me. Just, yeah, just love the Ashdown gear. Nice one. I got, just scan through the, the questions here. Do you guys feel that tribute shows have affected the original live music scene? I don't think it has. I don't think it has. Positively or negatively? <laughs> well, the full question is, do you feel tribute shows have affected the original live music scene like the ACDC Cold Chisel pub days in Australia? That was a different time. Um, that really was. And me and Mikey started playing rock and roll together at the tail end of that, 1988 in Australia. And it was a different time where venues, there weren't the noise restrictions that we have now. Um, there was budget for sound guys and, you know, you had these sound guys getting around that had the big PAs and stuff. Um, yeah, no, I don't think it's affected it at all, personally. I don't know what you guys think. I'd, no, I don't think so. I mean... I mean, I haven't, I haven't played original music personally for since mid nineties. Um, no, if you're, if you love, you know, if you've got a favorite original band, then you're going to go and see them. Um, I don't see how a tribute band being available is something that's going to affect. No, it's crazy. I think it's a song. As long as somebody leaves the house and goes and sees a band, I think that's, that's a positive thing, isn't it? Yeah. Cliff Gold, Cliff Gold, totally nailed it here. Pokey's killed the band scene. 
in yeah. Australia, poker machines. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. I'm not sure about you guys in, in the UK. I think, I, I mean, I'll, I'll shoot first. I mean, um, I, I think there's a place for tribute uh, within the music scene. I think it pulls people out that, that aren't in, aren't into original bands, but get to see original bands. So, you know, like the festivals that we play that they want to put on a tribute band to headline because people who relate to a big name like Queen or Nirvana or Foo Fighters will come out to watch, you know, that band, but then they get to see original bands. So, you know, I think, I think the work, the two work in harmony. If in, in a way, do we create opportunity for people to see original bands' music? Yeah. Well, we one thing we've done with a majority of our shows well, the last eighteen months is with our if we have an opportunity for an opener or a support, we will always get a local original band to fill that spot. We'll always have an you know, it's an opportunity to get um, somebody local that we're familiar with or that, you know, someone knows a member of a band um, or, you know, I was scanning Facebook for four tributes. I've even posted on a couple of local music pages that we needed a support if you keen on doing it to, like, original, to, yep. to contact us, send us your stuff and we'll, you know, we did that on... Nearly every gig last year, we had a local original act support. So, we do you know what, Moki? That I mean, that's brilliant, and and that is the one thing I wish I could change about the last ten years. Because before every show, I get messages galore from original bands saying, "We love what you do. Can we support you? Can we this? Can we that?" And it's always been difficult because because. Um, a lot of the venues to survive have had to put on like club nights and and DJs after we perform. So gradually our our set time, instead of us going on at like nine o'clock and playing till half past eleven, they want us to go on at at, at eight o'clock or, or even like half past seven and play till ten, half past ten. So they can then get rid of the band and put on the club night. So there's never enough time in an evening to put on a support act, you know? How good is it to get to bed early, though? Cold. <laughs> we still stay out till 3 a.m. Yeah. Hey. Oh, I'm out of sleep. <laughs> yeah. We do one gig on the coast here. We start at, what, 6 and go to 8 or something, and I'm like, yeah, I'm home in bed by 10. <laughs> so just back onto that original band thing, and um, I, was, I was just thinking about it. Um, because I, I I go through phases of playing in a million different bands, and there's one band that I play in on and off, a local band called King Mungie. Um, and when we do shows, man, we're, we're playing to a room full of, you know, and then it'd be like 10 people. Yeah. And you'll be having these multi-band nights, and you'll have, you know, five friends of the band from each band come, and there's just fucking no one, right? And then I'm just thinking about when I played – so I was thinking about an original night at the Shark Bar when they had the bands there. Then I thought about playing at the Shark Bar without Shined when I was playing with you guys. And, and, that, and you guys had two support acts, didn't you? Am I thinking yeah. right? You had both um, 
Mustache and Fire and the, and the Celestio. Celestio. Yeah. Yeah. So there was two original bands opening for you guys, and that room was absolutely full. So if anything, I'm thinking, I'm thinking it was kind of the opposite where you've actually exposed original music to fans that normally wouldn't have seen them. That's yeah. what we, we tried to do. Yeah. Um, and we have them come multiple times. So like the Silencio is probably the band, the Silencio, they've probably supported us five or six times. And, you know, the people that come and see us have now got to know those guys and their, their songs. And, you know, they you can hear them yelling out and requesting songs for them from them when they're playing. And mm. yeah, it's pretty cool. I think it does open it up and they keep coming back and wanting to do it. So they can't be too upset with us. No. Mm-hmm. What I want to know is, do you guys um, have questions for each other? I've got one for Jay. Like, you obviously seem to, with the Foo Fighters, like, you know, like you say, you keep up with their set lists and everything. When they start adding multiple band members, do you start shitting yourself and going, Christ, this is less money for me. I now have to have a percussionist, a keyboard, <laughs> chick on the violin, another guitarist. It's like, you'd be working for nothing. <laughs> do you know what? It's, uh, it's actually probably more about the fact that um i bought a a 1990 dodge ram day van uh, in 2013 to do these tours because that's what dave and kurt went out in they went out on tour with nirvana in a white dodge ram 1990 or whatever it was and i thought i, I wanna i'm into american stuff so i thought right i want to get the dodge and that's got seven seats so the back seat is like a bench seat. You don't really want to sit three guys on there. So it's kind of like a six seater. And that is really what's been the, the decider of like, yeah. how many people can we have? And one of the guys, Ollie is, is like, uh, he joined us uh, as a drum tech. And then he started doing some, uh, looking after me a bit more so that, um, we had guitar changes were a bit slicker and, you know, so he's, he's like part of the band. And um, so he's one of the six, which leaves five. So we don't have a Pat Smear in the band. Um, we're about, we were, this year we were going to start um, a theatre tour, um, which was really taking it to, in, to a different place. Um almost a bit like the bootleg Beatles and that type of thing. And so I was on the verge of recruiting a Pat Smear and we are going to do a harmonica player and a violin. That was all planned. I'd I'd booked hotels, rooms, everything was prepared, but I hadn't really thought about how they were going to get it yet. (laughs) (laughs) Then lockdown came. Sorry. I did. I did prefer uh, Foo Fighters pre-Pat. Uh, I've got a question for both um, Jay and John. Just with with the side of handling promo and tours and booking, have you guys got a team that you work with that does that, or you, do you maintain it all yourselves? Are you doing it everything yourselves, dealing with clients, venues? Flight. On my, on my side, I pretty much deal with everything myself. But um, I, I, I do reach out to and have people reach out to me from from agencies and stuff. So um, like um, 
Silverback touring uh, and Danny Bazzi. Uh, shout out to Danny and Rick of Silverback. They they were the guys that uh, that came to me and approached me about doing an Australian tour, which was uh, the tour that we did in December with, um, and played with you guys. Um, so yeah, but we we will only work, and I will only work with uh, with reputable people, people that I know that are that are good. They know their job, which Danny and Rick are at Silverback very much do. And um, people like that, people like uh, Demir Yankovic and stuff, and uh, Slovenia. Uh, we we work with some good people, but um, yeah, I, I'm I'm very uh, wary of who I let into our circle, uh, just because you get burned with past experience and stuff like you know. So um, I, I keep my cards very close to my chest nowadays. <laughs> yeah. Very close. I look like this. How? how, how- how long prior prior to you guys arriving in the country? How long were you booking? Like how far? When did you book the 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 December dates? Was it something that happened fast, or was it? I think me and Danny started speaking maybe two or three months before it happened because uh, we didn't have maybe a little bit longer actually, maybe four to six months because. I remember we were going into December. We weren't sure what we were initially going to do. Uh, we didn't know if we wanted to go away for some for a tour that you know so close to Christmas and stuff, especially. But um, I don't know. Everything seemed to line up a little bit as well because we had we were at the t- at the tail end of our tour. We had these uh, these shows that we were kind of able to walk off of those onto the Australian tour, and it just kind of made sense. You know, it just made sense. So. Uh, and the guys just promoted the, the, the life out of that tour for, we, I don't know. I mean, you guys did as well. You guys promoted the absolute oh, life. Yeah. We, we, got, <laughs> we got in trouble for that. <laughs> um, we promoted the wrong link. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we got, I think I received a, like I did, we did as much as we possibly could. And, and at the end, I think it was the, the day before the gig, um, I got a message from from Danny saying, you guys haven't done enough. You know, the ticket sales are bad. And it's like we went in feeling so deflated. And then to have the the, the Thursday night turn out, it was almost sold out in that room. Yeah, uh, it was crazy. I, well, yeah. I think the promo worked. You know, I don't think um, we we had a ball. I mean, we... Where we got in trouble was there was there was a couple of links and we were supposed to push people to our link so it was when they bought tickets through us it was registered through us, um, oh, and yeah. and we didn't we pushed the main silverback one, um, and so everyone bought tickets through the main silverback one so when we got there we knew a heap of people there that had come to see us and they're like up us because we'd sold eleven tickets or something they're like you've only sold eleven tickets, <laughs> um, but we looked out there was probably about I don't know. 50 or 60 people we knew there. Well, all these are familiar. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it could be nightmarish. I, I actually got Jay's link wrong in my post yesterday, and it was Mike that came to the rescue. Yeah. Mike was like, no, no. <laughs> Yeah, we're wary on post. Yeah, yeah, we're, <laughs> yeah we're, we're very aware of it now. But we, when, um, when he first reached out to us, they mentioned there was a possibility of, of doing the whole run with you guys, um, and we put our hands up. But as it eventuated, they'd selected a local, another local tribute in another local band in each state. Um, yeah, which uh, the first few emails was like, yeah, I hope we can do the whole show. I think that was again about giving local bands um, the opportunity. I think kind of like Andy wanted to do that as well. He wanted to give some 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 local people the opportunity, and 
I guess you know that, that goes back to the last yeah. one. Yeah. Giving people opportunity, I guess, isn't it? You know? Yeah. So yeah. just talking about the tour that you guys did, uh, John, did you bring your own backline gear for that, or did you just bring guitars and pedals and just use well, uh, rental I gear? NSP flight case full of pedals and uh, clothing, and I brought a, a guitar. To, I think I've, no, I didn't bring a guitar to smash. I was actually artist guitars in Australia. Shout out to you too because they supplied me with four guitars to smash the shit out of. I've got footage of you from side of stage, and you've got this guitar, and there's rafters up above the stage, and I'm seeing right. you. You're trying to throw the guitar up over the rafter so the lead, so the cable comes down on the other side. That was so I wanted, cool. <laughs> I wanted to climb up, but I couldn't. <laughs> yeah, man. It was awesome. But yeah, I went over for that tour. I didn't bring a whole head of a lot. There was uh, there was small amounts of gear, really. When I when we got off the other side and the guys were collecting us, they were just like, whoa, you travel really light, don't you? <laughs> 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 no lamps, no nothing. It was just... Awesome, some instruments, and that was basically it. So, hey, yeah. When you run the, uh, you were playing a mess of boogie that night, do you run through the clean channel and just put your pedals through that, or do you use the gain stage? Uh, no, I just use the clean. Uh, just use the clean. Uh, I could use a single if I wanted to. <laughs> could use a single <laughs> It's just in case, like, one of the channels goes funky or something like that. Yeah. It just yeah. makes sense, you know what I mean? But, uh, yeah, I just run it clean. I just yeah, I thought straight. that's what you were doing. Yeah, I was just looking at it because the sounds again very authentic in the way it was running. Yeah, I use um, I use a Moore, and it's I've got it in front of me actually. It's a, a zero one one. It's it's like a preamp pedal. So if something really really goes wrong, I can feed this into the desk. Yeah, uh, and it will give me the same the same. It will give at least the audience the same vibe of the Mesa. It says basically like a Mesa clone of the preamp. Um, so that that thing has kind of come to my rescue once or twice actually. Um, but yeah, it works really well. That so yeah, I just feed that into the desk. The same thing. I just run it clean. Just yeah, gives me the need. Is that what Kurt did? Did he just run clean amps with distortion pedals? Yeah, yeah, just a tiny little bit of gain. You just want a, a tiny little bit of dirt, but but that's it. You just it's mostly clean. He used to run a Crown Power amp, didn't he? He was more of a PA amp than a guitar amp, wasn't yeah. it? Crown power amp and a, a mess of preamp that ran into that. Oh, cool. um, so, yeah, it's the same. So I'm, I'm kind of going for the same vibe. You know, I'm not religiously following it anymore. Uh, I used to use, as I said, I used to use the same type of pedals he used as well. But over over years of touring and going on international tours, you're bringing your shit in, in suitcases and it's getting crushed and squashed and whatever. Uh, I won't name the company, but certain pedals that are made of just tin <laughs> boxes. They don't hold up, you know, they just get flattened and it, it just happens over time and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, I go for resiliency and stuff like that when I buy stuff nowadays, definitely. I don't try to stay religiously true anymore. Well, I guess a lot of people wouldn't know um, what Kurt was using. Well, well Maddie did. Um, i got to say, when I was doing the Brian May thing, I was using a Kemper. Um, not at the very start but about six months into it, I got a Kemper and I would run that into cabs, but we'd have AC30s backline because people wanted to see the AC30s, Brian May, you know, this wall of them. And it got to the point where I didn't even run through those anymore. I was just running through the PA, through the, the wedges. And just, um, we had a really good 
monitor guy that would follow me around the stage. If I ran over that side, monitor-wise, he'd turn me up and the monitor's over there. And um, Yeah, no, well, yeah, no, the monitor guy we had was with um, In Excess and um, Jimmy Barnes and big Australian artists like that for, for many years. So really knew his shit. So having Phil Kadira at your side is freaking awesome, I've got to say. Do you guys ever wear in ear monitors or anything like that when you guys are playing live? Yeah, um, I, I'm, I moved to in ears about maybe three or four years ago. Hate, mm-hmm. I hated it. It was horrible. Another new learning curve. And obviously, once you, once you know what ambient mics are, you know, mm-hmm. then you, yep. then then you can't live without them because I hated that detachment from from the room, mm-hmm. you know. But once with a bit of ambient, then it it's fixed, you know. Yep. So yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't turn back. Also, my ears were starting to suffer, and um, I knew as well when I watched back some live recordings that I was starting to uh, sing a bit flat against a wall of sound um so you know people were like oh it was awesome and i was like watching it back afterwards thinking like oh no i'm i'm off key here slightly you know by half a tone or something and the in is just fixed that because i had complete control you know do you do you have um do you guys have when you're playing uk shows do you have uh, specific production companies that are familiar with the acts do they do you use them continually or do you do you have monitor guys front of house guys that you work I'm with the, it, it it's always been suggested that i've got six seats <laughs> <laughs> at, a, at a trailer with all the gear in so i kind of took the view that you know, it's it's the Foo Fires, you yeah. know. So I just wanted to keep it raw and not get into too much, you know, overproduction and stuff, and just ah, you know, plug in and are you guys required to supply production on your show? Like, or do you, are you playing rooms that that the it's already all set up? You you walk in on the stages, production in-house with a- oh yeah literally yeah. i would say since See, that's the since big 20 since 2013 it's all been in-house stuff um and you know people like to save money out there and i i, I don't like to to cut corners and stuff so i always ask for a you know monitor engineer front of house and lighting so at least three people for the show and then we give them their cues and um make sure that everything's as we want it to be you know yeah all right it's not we don't have that relationship so it's a little bit of a a journey you know sometimes it's great sometimes it's not so great um but you know once 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 it's stage time it's all about the audience and it's not quite right it's not quite right the reason that I, I touched on that subject is probably 80% of the shows that we've played in the last two years, we production is required. So we basically have two production companies that we work with. Um, 
most rooms that we play don't have systems. So we have to have the system, we have to supply the system, supply the engineers. Uh, so the budget, you know, it, it really does cut into the budget when you've got a, you know, those sort of overheads as well. Um, obviously, John, when, or both of you guys, when you're touring um, around the country, you're not gonna be lugging your own, your own system um, or setting it up. So uh, yeah, it's, it's a little bit different out here with our experience anyway, not not so much. I, I guess it depends on the rooms that you're playing. So I, I was just checking out the uh, the questions there. Folks, if you do have any, any questions, now's the time to, to throw some into the uh, chat room because I, I'm going to round things up. Um, we're coming up to that two-hour mark. But we have one there from Epic Angel Girl. Um, anyone have a special standout favourite moment from a show that made you feel like yeah, this is why I'm doing it all. Yeah, <laughs> we did. Uh, we went up to Cairns, and it was an interesting room. It was that it was sort of a, a room where the it, it had sold out. Basically, we got up there, and just but an hour before, there was a queue around the corner, like it would be at a normal concert. We're like, "What the f is this going on?" Wow. And anyway, the whole place packed in, and it was a funny room. There was this area where the stage was, which had an elevated ceiling. Then the ceiling sort of dropped down a little bit. Um, and there was one guy in the room, must have been, he must have been like seven six. foot, <laughs> six, <laughs> like some, and about 150 kilos. And then three quarters of the way through the floor, he started punching holes in the ceiling. <laughs> no way. <laughs> and, and, and it was, it was the weirdest gig too, because they had a, they had one of the, you know, the crash barriers that they have where you, you stand on the, oh, you know, the aluminium yeah. crash barrier it had that in front of us and they had the crash barrier and then they got the platform where the people stand on to put the weight on the barrier. The security wouldn't even let the people stand on that section of it. So there was a meter between. <laughs> there was a there was about half a meter between the the edge of the stage and the barrier, and then the security guard made the the punters the crowd stand back a meter from the edge the of the barrier. The edge of the barrier. <laughs> that's stupid. And then there was this gorilla punching holes in the ceiling, and I went, that, "That's it, we've made it." <laughs> <laughs> and the security just looked at him because he was 150 kilos and they were going to miss him. I'm not going to touch that. Mm. How about you, John? Me? God damn. Man, I feel, I feel grateful. I feel like I've kind of made it every time. I, I, I throw myself off the stage a lot, right? <laughs> so <laughs> every time... Every time people don't let me hit the ground, every time I climb a lighting rig or a speaker stack or sometimes jump out of the balcony and people don't let me splat on the floor, I feel I pretty much made it. Like, they think I'm important <laughs> enough. That's pretty much it. I'm, I'm happy enough with that. I'm happy enough with I will, I will say it briefly, right? So, uh, Matthew Street Festival, that huge festival thing that really launched the band and kind of like, it kind of got our name around a lot. Uh, we used to have be under a different name then, but it definitely got the, the reputation of the band around a lot. Um, it was the end of that show. I I, I, um, I remember the DJ or the, the, the host, dude, he was uh, some guy off the radio and he was so confused. because I was like, they weren't expecting me to do it. I I brought a guitar to smash up because I wasn't going to stand there in front of like 120,000 people and not smash the shit out of an electric guitar. <laughs> so like, I was throwing the thing in the air and the guy was like, Ladies and gentlemen, Nirvana! And he's like getting more and more confused because I'm not stopping. I'm like smashing the fuck out of this thing. And it's not breaking. So I just thought, 
well, what would Kurt do, right? I'm out of time here. So I was like, Reading, Reading 1992. So I walked down, jumped off the stage, got into the boards of the crowd and gave them the guitar still plugged in. And that moment, when I got back a little bit up onto the stage and I was looking at it, I was just like, dude, <laughs> this is like crazy chaotic shit. Like, and I was like, yeah, man, I think we've accomplished what we set out to do. Here. Awesome, though. Yeah, that's me. Very cool. Very cool. That's How about you, Jay? And roll. How about you, Jay? Oh, man. You know, we're uh, we're celebrating, or I've been posting this last few days, um, five years ago this week, um, the Foo Fighters was supposed to play Wembley. And Dave had been playing um, in Sweden, and he fell off stage, and he broke his leg. <laughs> and it was like the week before everyone was waiting is dave gonna make it to wembley or is he not gonna make it and the announcement came out to say that um wembley was cancelled and i got this call from a guy who runs a charity uh called given to live and he helps like the disadvantaged and the terminally ill um get to see their heroes and he'd set up um, a battle of the bands next door in the shadows of Wembley stadium. And he was planning to raise money and the Foo Fighters canceled the gig. So it was all off. And he messaged me and he said, Hey Jay, do you want to play Wembley? So I, I rang him up and said, do I want to play Wembley? What are you talking about? Anyway, it wasn't Wembley stadium, but it was, in the shadows of Wembley Stadium. So I tweeted, and because it was only like, it was only like six months after the exposure of performing with Dave. So, you know, the NME, Classic Rock Magazine, all these people who interviewed me after that clearly must have been following my, my, my Twitter feed or something. And I put this post out saying, Hey, who wants to come to a Foo Fighters show if we play Wembley for the two nights they were supposed to play Wembley? And cool. so we announced it to play in the shadows of Wembley Stadium. And the NME and uh, I think Rolling Stone magazine, they went, <laughs> hey, guys, have you got tickets to see the Foo Fighters in Wembley? But it's off. Go see the UK Foo Fighters. Oh, so we cool. did. Oh, shit. We did the Friday and the Saturday night to Foo Fighter fans in London from all over the world. Um, we sold out the room, which was like three or four thousand people for both nights. Honestly, it was it was I've crazy. I watched the video of my hero. You guys doing my hero that night. That's insane. Yeah. It's brilliant. So that 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 is what we're celebrating now. It's been five years since we did those two shows, and then we did one in Edinburgh as well because they cancelled Murrayfield as well. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Brilliant. Wow. Brilliant. Any standout shows for you, Mikey and Matt? Uh, Shark Bar. Um, we had the one that you played, Shark Bar, the Chris Cornell tribute that we did. That was that was great. That was really a lot of fun. A lot of, I mean, it's our pretty much our home venue, really. The Shark Bar always was um, pretty special to us. 
um, and to, to that was almost capacity that night. Um, and it was only a, a, you know a few hundred people, but that was pretty special. Um, and the, the other Gold Coast one that we played, RSL Club Southport, that was pretty special. That was a, a May 18th gig the following year for a Chris Cornell tribute as well. Um, both those, I think more so with RSL Club Southport was because it's a premier room with a, a kick-ass system in it. That, like, that rig right is just bullshit, man. That rig. <laughs> yeah, it was a really, a really great setup in there. Um and any gig that we've, we've, you know, any gig that we get, we get to meet people and and have a great time playing. Um, yeah, the last couple of years for us has, has been brilliant, man. As I said right at the start, just so thankful that I'm getting to play this music that I've loved from being a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Enough of all this happy shit. What about your worst gig ever? i reckon my most embarrassing gig worst gig ever was the last one i did with killer queen tribute uh, the queen tribute show and i got video of that and you i'm sure mikey i've I've shown you that we're talking about india monitors um our singer who wasn't the best singer he he looked like freddie mercury um but wasn't that much chop as a singer but he normally would wear in-ear monitors and he didn't wear them that night for some reason and we played this huge festival people as far as you could see man like i got the footage um and he just couldn't pick what key to to sing the song it was just i showed people the video and they're just like are you serious i'm like yeah i'm I'm that serious I, i resigned the next day it was that bad um that was my that's my most my worst gig ever <laughs> I, I reserve. That's it. That's I, it. Rick's answered that one. I have your question, I, Rick. I haven't, I haven't had. I haven't had a, a worse gig yet. I have <laughs> not with this band. Not <laughs> I with did with this one. I've had plenty with Remedy, but yeah. but not with our. Show. We did a we did a, an outdoor sort of like a big day out sort of a thing, a nineties theme big day out. So we were the grunge component of that. So we got there early, sound checked and everything. Had my pedal board out. Amps turned on, everything's ready to go, and in between, in between acts, they had these DJs, these hype up guys getting around, getting everyone going. There's probably I don't know what happened, five or six thousand people at this place, and anyway, I've got my amps turned on, ready to go, and about ten seconds before we due to go on, there's just this hell noise coming out of my amp setup, and I'm, what the fuck's that? So I turn all the standbys off, and the DJ comes. I oh, accidentally jumped on your pedal board. Oh. And what he did was, I had one of those loop, the gig rig loop with the loopers in it. He jumped on the end and snapped the end of it off. So oh. that was the output of all of my effects <laughs> gone. So I spent the rest of the gig basically in between trying to pull an individual pedal off and rebuild the pedal board off the pedal board <laughs> every time oh. I song and I have to do that. And look, it was an absolute shocker. It was the worst gig I've ever played in my life. And I just, it actually hurts a little for me to talk about it. I don't even know why I brought the subject up. <laughs> and if that, if that DJ guy wasn't about six foot six, I would have kicked him in the fucking balls. <laughs> um, if anybody has any, any other questions, speak now or forever hold your peace because um, 
I think it's about time to wrap things up with the boys. There is about a 10 or 15 second delay, so I'm just going to talk nonsense until that comes and see if anybody leaves anything there, but I think we've pretty much done it. You guys got any more questions for each other? Oh, man. Uh, have you guys always had the same members in the band? Like John, has Ali and Moyano been with you how, how long? Um, Ali and Moyano have been with me what seems like forever now. <laughs> 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 I took I look I took like a year off. I had a, I was with different guys before uh, when I, when this all kicked off, and uh, I took like a year off. I needed to go and sort myself out, uh, and and I did that in the end. Like I I was a terrible alcoholic and stuff. And uh, <laughs> so I went and I sorted my, my drug and my drink shit out over that year and a half or whatever. And when I came back, I needed some good people and I found lucky to find Ali and lucky to find Mariano. Uh, and they're, they're, they're the same guys that are with me in uh, Freaks Like Me now as well. So that's another thing. Freaks Like Me, Spotify, go and listen to our record on there through Sony. Thank you very much. Is that an original... Shameless. Is that your original yeah. group? Ah, yeah, original uh, freaks like me. Uh, the record is called Philosophies for the Modern, and it's a it's an EP. There's only like five or six tracks on there, but we released it through Sony uh, a few years ago. But um, Ali and Mayana were in that project with me now, so we're we're kind of looking towards maybe getting a new deal, new record deal, uh, releasing a new record. You know, just putting that out there. <laughs> there you go. Cool. Cool. How about you, Jay? Do you do any uh, original music? Um, do you know what? The answer to that is is no until recent weeks. Um, and I've been spending quite a lot of time. I, I never really wanted to get into understanding, you know, logic and pro tools. and But I've had some time to do it recently. So I've, I've started learning um how to record and honestly i i wish i could just stay at home for the rest of my life you know <laughs> apart from traveling and stuff because um it's been really enjoyable you know just to um you know i've realized that i can definitely write some stuff and i i can feel the influence of of nirvana of the beatles of uh, green day offspring foo fighters you know so i yeah watch this space nice one nice but one. i'll have my i'll have a plug actually as as we're into like the closing minutes um we had the awesome opportunity to record in the bbc live lounge studio in november last year cool. um and uh, one of the questions we spoke about earlier which i didn't answer was about promo and oh if if it isn't if it is all about promo it is all about promo and i'm always pushing for like how can we go to the next level how how do you get a tribute band into a place like where the bbc live lounge operate from so i started making inquiries two years ago and i ended up speaking to the guys there and they remembered me and they needed a band so in this is the foo fighters concrete and gold album and when we were in there i decided that we'd do something similar with a different logo there so we we decided to put the session to vinyl which went on sale about three or four weeks ago so we did like a a double album thing that's cool. me with the 
the guy there. Um, and we just had time. We literally had time to do exactly what a big band would do on a on a live session. And we did. Um, we decided to do some Foo Fighters songs, and then we'd been playing ACDC, uh, Let There Be Rock, because Dave's been playing that with the shows. Um, so we did that on there, and that's my favourite one. That That's like, I don't have to sound like anybody. It's just ACDC. Nice. Go nice. for it, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's my little plug. That's on sale on our website at ukfoofighters.co.uk. There you go. Nice one. <laughs> So speaking of plugs, I better give myself a plug for anybody that's uh, been watching. Please like, subscribe, all that kind of stuff. I could really do some more subscriptions on my channel. I've been doing a lot of really cool content of late. And um, so every one of those little like, subscribe, and notification bell things goes a long way. So um, please do. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Rick. Uh, thanks, Mike, for making it happen. And uh, it's great to meet you, Matt and John. John, we need to hook up. We do. We've never met each other. But I figured out what it was. We played the waterfront in Norwich on the same night. We did. We did. You were downstairs. I was upstairs. And uh, Did you have a stand-in drummer that night? Did you have Adam Breeze? Adam Breeze. Breeze, he was in that night. He was. Hi, Adam. <laughs> if you're watching. <laughs> yeah. Adam I remember Reeses. that. Yeah, man. I know Adam. Yeah. Afterwards, but I, uh, I didn't stick. <laughs> I didn't stick around to come and say hello. <laughs> but we do this. We must do this. We must do this. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, and I need great. to get to Australia. Yes, you do. Oh, man, the Gold Coast yeah, yeah. looks like a place I need to go on vacation. You know. We got plenty of backline here for you. Yeah, You'll be fine. That's it. Ah, oh, yeah. Now that's. That's the only way it's going to happen because Australia is a long way away and I've got other shit going on in my life. So to, to go on tour and drop the wife and child is not that easy. So, But a holiday with a guitar and a guy's and a back line and a set list with like, ooh, let's do a few Foo Fighters songs. Yes. Yeah. Sure. That's the answer. We've, we've, been, we've had people post on the page about doing Foo Fighters tracks, like songs in our set list. It's... Yeah, it's uh, they're definitely nineties. Maybe we should do it. Chuck a Fooey song in there. Awesome, Post grunge. Well, chaps, again, I want to thank you. I'm going to hit my little button that gives me a little applause sound. Yay! You guys can't hear that, but I can, and the people at home can. So, thank you very much. As usual, I'm going to hit my little end screen to round it off. It's right here. It's right here. It's right here. It's right here. Thank you. See you guys. See you, Jeff. Great to meet you. Thanks. Bye.